Yes. Marty's my boy. Woo! All right. Let's, let's pray. So, oh, Father, we invite your spirit. We invite more of your spirit. And so uh, we've already sensed your presence. And so we invite more. And so where there's obstacles, where there's distractions, where there's weariness, where there's doubt, where there's frustration and disappointment, where there's anxiety, where there's darkness that seems to overwhelm and drag us down, we invite your spirit and we ask for more. So for, for the resistance that we bring to this moment, Lord, we ask for mercy, that we'd be able to hear and respond to your invitation, that you are a good, good God. You, are, you want good for us, and you invite us this morning to come to you. And so we lean into you, and we submit and surrender our plans and our agenda. We say, have your way, Lord. And so we invite you by your spirit. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this is the final week um, in our Made for More series. And I think it's um, funny, because um, this is the week that Ephesians talks about demon possession. And so this is the week that Bo went on vacation and, ha and so I get to teach about demon possession. So it's gonna be good. You're gonna, you guys are gonna hang with me. You're gonna be my supporters. We're gonna do this together. It's an exciting text. Um, we're gonna be in Ephesians 6. So if you have a Bible, open it to that. If you have it on your phone or whatever, go to Ephesians 6. And we've been exploring this idea that Jesus is more. And so, if millennials were writing this series, they would have said Jesus is extra. So just trying to let you know, not only can I dress like a millennial, but I can use the vernacular. So, Jesus is extra, which means that the church is made to be extra, to be more. The church is to do more, to go more. And some of us today, when you hear me say those words, that the church is made for more, to be more, to do more, to go more, you are absolutely exhausted. And you hear me say that the church is intended and made for more, and immediately you say, I can't do it. I'm exhausted, I'm failing, I feel like I'm drowning. I can't do anything right. The things I'm trying to do have failed or blown up in my face. And you realize that this series has felt like a weight to you. It's felt like a burden. And so we come to Ephesians chapter six, 
where Paul is writing this letter to a church in Ephesus. We're fortunate we have a copy of the letter in the scriptures. And this week, we come to a spot where the church is being challenged with this thought, that we as the church are made to withstand more. We're made to withstand more. We're made to win more. We're made for more opposition than what we are currently experiencing. And this week, we're going to dig into this together. You're going to look at it in your small groups, and we're going to practice here this morning. So for you who hear this intro, and it sounds overwhelming, and you're already feeling that you are at or beyond capacity, or perhaps you're feeling isolated, or feeling that you're alone. If so, today's message is for you. And so, as we begin, I want to pray for us that we would be able to move into this text free of the weight of shame and free of the weight of disappointment in ourselves. And so let me pray for us. So Lord, would your spirit highlight those spots where the enemy has actually um, got root in us and where um, the lies of the enemy have actually taken and have brought darkness. And so um, you say that we're your beloved. You say um, that we were meant to live reconciled to you. And you say that we were meant to be a part of your kingdom advancing. And so where the enemy has come in and told us that we're not a part of that, that we can't do that, that we're too much of a mess, Lord, I ask for your grace to extend. And so would you cover us with your grace this morning that we would not be under the influence of the enemy. And I pray that um, protective word in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this series, we've been being invited to join a cosmic Jesus, a Jesus that fills all the universe, and that Jesus is on a cosmic mission, and that this mission is to restore all things. That's a, that's a huge heroic story. It's an amazing, amazing theme. It'd be a great movie. I think it's been made a number of times. But this idea that Jesus, a cosmic Jesus, is on a mission to restore all things means that something along the way has broken in order for it to need restoration. And so as we, as we look at the stories of Scripture as we look at the Adam and Eve narrative, what we learn is that sin entered the world and created a separation, and that immediately man and woman felt alienated 
and isolated. It's, it's in the text. So the idea of a cosmic Jesus that fills all the universe, that goes into every nook and cranny, looking to restore all things, part of what Jesus is looking to restore is us as a people. Because we're not meant to live alone. We're not meant to live alienated and isolated. We're meant to live together. And so part of the work of the enemy is to alienate and to isolate and to say, you're the only one that feels this way. You're the only one that's experiencing this. And so a cosmic Jesus on a cosmic mission to restore all things has cosmic proportions, and that is the redemption of a people. When the body of Christ is mobilized and this cosmic Christ is moving into every nook and cranny of society, I want to tell you that is not neutral. It is not neutral. It's actually a declaration of war. Because there is an enemy, and it's a real enemy. In John 10, it says that that enemy comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So what's at stake is that the fullness of Jesus being expressed in and through us as his body gets stunted or gets opposed or gets buried. And that the thief's schemes and plans to steal and kill and destroy and to leave people isolated, alienated, and vulnerable comes to fruition. So as we've been going through this series and thinking about moving into more, some people have actually done it. Some people have started hosting neighborhood kids in their backyard for hot dogs and devotions. Who doesn't want to go to that? Vegetarians. <laughs> but Chris Elin, well done, sir. Please come get a Dunkin' Donut for yourself. And I know if you're on a diet, give yourself permission to enjoy it. It's right here in the front row. So Chris, Jody, come on up. Get your Dunkin' Donuts. Two of them right here, unless you guys ate them all. Okay, no, there's some there. As we've been going into, through this series, people are being inspired and are starting to dream about where God is wanting to restore all things and where God is inviting them to go with him. Now, what's interesting is that as we go, as we respond to the invitation to more, as God's light and hope and love and rescue and acceptance and renewal begin to seep into every nook and cranny of society, as that begins to happen, we begin to take back territory that the enemy thought he had. And this is not neutral. We begin to 
experience what restoring all things looks like. And the oppressed start to get uplifted. And the isolated start to become known. And they say, now because you hugged me in front of this church, people will talk to me at Starbucks. The bound who have been in bondage and who have not been able to see a way forward begin to be set free. And those that are taken captive by our systems of oppression are delivered. And I can't impose on you enough, this is not neutral. As we begin to step into the restorative work of Jesus in the world, into every nook and cranny, we are declaring war on an enemy that does not want us to take the territory. In many ways, it's provoking. It's like picking a fight with the bully on the schoolyard that up until this point has been ignoring you because you've never been a threat. It's not surprising that as we do more, go more, that we experience opposition. And for most of us, if we're honest, we don't feel like we're winning. I got multiple phone calls and texts in the last two weeks of people who have been taking risks, they've been making themselves available to the hurting, to those who are vulnerable, and at the same time, they're starting to feel a weight on them. The statement was, um, I haven't been able to change out of sweatpants. Right, like that's too much. Even just getting into regular adult clothes is too much because there's a heaviness and there's a darkness and there's a, there's a weight that is trying to come in and can find and constrict and paralyze these people who are saying yes to God's invitation to more. And I'm here to tell you, like Paul does to the church in Ephesus, if you're gonna go with the church to do more, expect opposition. Expect it. The thing that's crazy is if you read Ephesians chapter six, and if you read that not knowing anything about the church, not knowing anything about Western Christianity, you would think that this was a letter to a group of people who were about to bear arms and go into battle. And somehow, we, the church, has said, oh, that's not us. <laughs> we're not going into battle. That's, that's all figurative. And I'm telling you this morning, it's not. It's spiritual. There are spiritual forces that do not want us to step into the restorative power of Jesus to reclaim in the world what has been stolen. Ephesians 6 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, hem- in the heavenly realms. So if you have your little sheet, I'm going to give you your first fill in the blank. If Jesus is more, then we are made to withstand more. If Jesus is more, then we are made to withstand more. The enemy of our souls, the enemy of our co-workers' souls, the enemy of our family's souls, will do everything possible to thwart God's plan for more. But in Christ, we're called to win this battle. To do so, we must consecrate ourselves to Jesus and his mission. Individually, the enemy will attempt to hinder the fullness in us, but corporately, we are able to create systems of opposition to overcome his advances. Heavy? Sound fun? Sound like you're ready to do it? Here's the thing. Think about nature. Think about those, all those National Geographic shows that you watched when you were homesick from school. There was always a tactic of the predator. And the tactic of the predator was not to go after a pack and try and eat the whole pack. The scheme, the tactic of the predator was to try and alienate one of the pack. And if you can alienate the one, then you can overpower the one and then kill the one. This is the same type of scheme that the enemy uses here in the church. And the enemy uses whatever scheme possible to isolate, to shame, to separate us, to divide us, to get us alone, and then to overpower us, deceive us, and drag us down. And then make us a group of individuals that show up on Sunday to the same room as opposed to a body that functions with the fullness of Jesus. We face real opposition, and the problem is this, that the church has looked more like picnicking on the beaches of Normandy, where there's a war raging, and we're frustrated about the type of food that's being provided. The world is at war, and the church chooses its battles internally. You fight about doctrine. You fight about who's welcome, who's holy enough to serve in what role. And talk about what carpeting is going to be there. How are you going to pay the bills? And all the while, people's lives and souls are being sucked under, being stolen and killed and destroyed. 
And this is a masterful scheme of the enemy. It's masterful. Infighting, division, critical spirits within the church community, finger pointing, distraction, confusion, shame, isolation, not wanting to be vulnerable, not wanting to be known. There's too much cost to that. If they really found out who I was, they would not invite me to get up and speak, right? And the enemy says, you're messier than all the rest. You're messier. Don't say that. The issue that we're facing is that if the church gets fighting with each other, then the energy goes towards fighting with each other. Rather than moving out together, out against an enemy, and reclaiming that territory as a part of God's restorative work to reconcile all things unto himself. And so it's, a, it's an excellent scheme, but it is the actual undoing of God's plan for us to withstand that we would not go alone, but that we would go together. Let's look at the Ephesians 6 text. Starting in verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Awesome text, even better flannel graph. Like, for those, sorry, for those of you who don't know what flannel graph is, that was a uh, inside joke then. So, awesome text. Somebody, a comedian said, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, having a baby is like you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. (laughs) That kills me. Uh, This text can have that quality. You're already at capacity. You can't change out of sweatpants. You're barely getting out of bed in the morning. If you are a leader in this church, you're giving yourself to others on a regular basis, and they are needy. They are hurting, and you give of yourself. And then the war, the battle, comes to your house. 
and knocks on your door and you're already at capacity. And then you read this and it says, well, stand up, put on the breastplate, put on the belt, and you're like, I don't, I can't do any of that. I'm exhausted. I'm going under, I'm sinking, I'm in darkness. And the thing is, is that that isn't what this text says. This text actually says, for our struggle, our struggle. This is a communal text. This text isn't written for individuals who are alienated and isolated trying to take on the world. It's actually written for a body that is doing life together and they were called Ephesians because they lived in Ephesus. So this text is a statement for a pack, not for an individual. Understand? Amen? Amen. So some of you just got a little bit of hope, right? Because you're like, oh my Lord, I'm so exhausted by his talk already. So <laughs> breathe that wind. Well, that's, breathe that wind, that's better. <laughs> this is not a text for a single person. This is not a text that's saying get better. Get better at being a Christian. This is not a text that's saying get stronger. This is not a text that's saying get more faith. This is a text that's actually saying learn how to sound an alarm. Learn how to ring a bell. Learn how to tell someone I'm not doing okay. I'm not gonna make it. I feel like I'm drowning. I don't have the faith to continue. I think I'm gonna die. This text is saying, find your pack and learn how to sound an alarm. We need to reframe, oh, this is a, uh, write, write it in your blanks. We need to reframe the armor in a communal sense. In a communal sense. It is an unbroken circle of God's people walking arm in arm. This is not you getting better, getting stronger. This is you saying, I don't have what it takes. But I am among a people who will lock arms and will surround me. As our family, oh yeah, so we, we got like a um, science beaker last week from Bo about because we're experimenting in the foster care system and so I wanted to tell you the backside of that. As our family continues to go more into the nooks and crannies of the fostering world, it's overwhelming. It's exhausting. More days than not in a week, I don't want to be a part of it. More nights than not, Tina will look at me and say, why do we do this? <laughs> It hurts. And you know what the enemy says? Is he says, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. Nobody else is doing it. Which is a lie. But the enemy's like, why, why are you doing that? You don't have to do that. You guys would be way more comfortable if you didn't. You could use that room for a study. 
Right? You could use that room for whatever. You don't have to do this. And we hit those spots so often where we realize we aren't fast enough, we're not strong enough, we don't have the endurance required to go alone. And that's when the Spirit says, right, you're not supposed to be going alone. And instead, what we try to do And I say try because there's times I don't want to show my vulnerability. I don't want to show how much it hurts because the enemy likes to put shame on people. And so the enemy will say to us, don't look weak, you chose to do this. Don't tell others that you're struggling because they're going to say to you, didn't you guys sign up to be a foster home? And I want to punch you in the throat when you say that to me. I'm just being honest. Yeah, I signed up, and it's not this kid's fault, but this sucks, and I don't want to do this anymore. What has happened for us is that God has raised up a pack, and there's people that we cry to, and there's people that we text, and we say, we need help right now. There's families here that have experienced their own pain, their own losses, and they live with their griefs bare. And somehow God has united us to be able to lock arms together. Our small group is one of our first places that we sound the alarm. Say, not doing well today. We just shoot, shoot a message on our group me. And immediately, there are people who begin to respond. Hey, praying for you right now. What's even better is when they put their prayers in the, in the actual text. But there's families here, the, the Inmans, the Knacks, the Elans, the Canes. They have special places in the mix of it. And it's, hor- it's horrible to name, but I think it's wrong for me not to. I just say, good job. We couldn't do it without you. And I hope that I'm that for someone else. I hope there's someone else in here that says, I couldn't do this without you. And we lock arms together. And we check in on each other. And when we're under attack, we ask for strength to sound the alarm. Usually it sounds like this. Not in a good headspace. We sound the alarm so that we don't get taken down because if we're left alone, we will be taken down. And for us, that has a rippling effect on children who are already being taken down. So this morning, with all that I can muster, I tell you that we are in a war that we have declared battle as we step in to where God is inviting us. 
and that as we go, we need to be prepared that we will face opposition. Do not go alone. You are not intended to do this individually. You are not weak because you can't pull this off by yourself. You are actually human. And that for us, we are intended to live in communal space. So this idea of the shield of faith, the scripture says with the shield of faith, you can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the enemy. So here's a shield of faith. Who wants, who wants to hold the shield of faith? Not everybody. <laughs> Who's daring? Who wants to hold the shield of faith? Just put your hand up. All right, come on up, Ryan. So Ryan is going to hold the shield of faith. So hold that the way that, uh, yeah, you could do both one hand there, one, yeah, there you go. Very, very, very good. So if Ryan is under attack and he's out there by himself and he's done the thing, he has the shield of faith, what's the problem with this scenario? What's that? Okay, he's by himself. What else? His back is exposed. What'd you say? No sword. That's in, you get that later. <laughs> this is a problem. His whole back is exposed. He can't see what he can't see, and he can't know what he doesn't know. So this row right here, Pat on down to uh, Kelsey, right? You come here. You guys come up here. Just step here in the middle. So this row, circle him arm in arm. You got to close that. All right. So now they can see every direction. Remember when we were talking about the five-fold gifts of the church? This is an expression of that. This is why we need a full body. This is the fullness of Jesus. This is the fullness of Jesus manifest in a situation where Ryan is under attack. This is what the communal armor of God looks like. So if it was a belt of truth, they would wear the belt of truth. And what would that mean? That would mean that if Ryan was being deceived by the enemy, that this communal body would begin to speak truth over Ryan. Powerful. They would begin to combat whatever lies and deceit had, had already started to infiltrate or that Ryan had already started to agree with and had already started to drag him down. And so they would speak truth over him. A breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, Feet with shoes that are readied to share the good news. This is, this is a beautiful image of the church. 
And if this isn't the church that you know, we were made for more. We were made for more. Thank you. You guys can go back and sit down. Well done. Give them a hand. That was, that was risky. Risky, risky, risky. So I want to give you a couple of reflection questions. And I really, want you, I really want you to be careful in that as you think of these questions, there will be an enemy and a deceiver that will immediately start to answer them for you. <laughs> so here's, here's my question. If we're, if we're going to win this, and if we're going to live out God's plan for more for us, we, we have to go together. And so who are your people? Who are your people? It could be that you fill out a green card. That, that's, that's saying you're my people, and this is something that I'm trying to carry. It could be when we offer elder prayer that you step forward. That's, that's knowing your people. It could be your small group like me. It could be that you're like, I can't, I can't handle this. So you send a text out. It could be that you have neighbors who are mindful. But who, who are your people? Who, who is surrounding you with a shield of faith? And then I say the hardest is are you being vulnerable? Are you letting anyone know when you're in trouble? Do you know how to sound the alarm? Do you know how to say, I'm, I'm not doing well. This isn't going to go well. So, is Matt here? I don't think they're here this weekend. Um, Matt, Matt is a therapist in our community. And this week he said, it's too much. too much. Too much burden, too much weight to carry listening to everyone's problems. And I was like, he needs a shield. <laughs> Matt needs a shield. Kathleen called me this week. We talked. Kathleen's been pushing our small group to be mindful of the vulnerable, to actually put action towards those among us who are at risk. Guess what? Kathleen's under attack. <laughs> Opposition has come to her house. It's not surprising. Kathleen needs a shield. For those that are here this morning, you have the benefit or the opportunity to have a shield surround you in this time. It's risky. It requires a level of vulnerability. But we would be amiss for me to just now say, hey, we got birthday cake in the lobby. Happy Pentecost. 
have a good week, right? We're here. We're assembled. We don't need to cast out demons. I mean, maybe we will, but that's not the point. The point is that we would be a visual representation of care. And so this morning, you came in this place, you know the weights that you carry, you know if you're feeling underwater, you know if opposition has come to your house and is knocking at your door, and so we wanna offer an opportunity for care. So Marty, because care can't be done well without a tickling piano. <laughs> Please. Um, so close your eyes to not be distracted. So Lord, uh, we invite your spirit. If there's, if there's something or someone that you want to um, touch this morning, that you want to meet in a very specific way, then Lord, I ask that you would help them um, with bravery and courage to be able to step in that direction. And so then for the rest of us who are gonna, um, who are gonna be the fullness of your body, how awesome, Lord. So, so even now, by your spirit, would you begin to inspire and to turn our hearts towards one another? And that um, in the safety of this place, that we, uh, we set it apart this morning as holy ground. We set it apart in this moment that the enemy doesn't have influence or authority in this space by the blood of Jesus. And we sang about it and we agreed. And so this is a space for you to do your work. So I, I will not linger if you want to have a shield of faith around you, I would invite you just to raise your hand uh, where you're at, okay? Now, awesome, love it. So here, the next step, I'm gonna ask you to stand, I apologize, but it'll be the best way for people to see you. So if you raise your hand and you can stand up where you're at. Um, so we got, Catherine, we got the Elans, we got the Bertlands. I don't know these two guys. I apologize. My bad. So, church, Andrew, I saw you. Do you want to stand? That's how your hand. Okay. So, these people have put themselves out there to be circled up around. And so, there's something, right? There's something going on that they are sensing the need for a shield because they're facing opposition. You don't have to be magical. You don't have to be a wordsmith. You don't have to have the Bible memorized in order to circle them up, okay? So this is for everyone to participate. You have the freedom to. If you're overwhelmed by this and you need to go to the lobby and get cake, you're welcome to do that. But for those that are here, I, I would like for us to circle these individuals and then I'll give instruction from there of just, uh, we're gonna say a prayer over them. So for those who are seated, look around at who's standing. Ask the Lord, is there one, is there someone, is there a group that you think you should go to? And then I'm gonna ask you to go there, okay? So Lord, make connections, networks, things that we can't do. Maybe somebody's looks not neutral to you. Go ahead and move to those people.
and we're going to begin to form little circles around them. And then we're just going to pray. So if you don't have anyone circling you, raise your hand so I can help direct people. Anybody that was wanting to be circled that is not being circled, raise your hand. Okay. We want to do like the shield of faith where we lock arms. So let's lock arms around these people. And for those that are going to get cake, bless you, love you. Don't feel bad. <laughs> okay. Everybody circled? All right, Marty, bring it down to a uh, meso piano. Here's, here's what we want to do. Nobody, nobody in here is a superhero, okay? The fact that you're together circling them, is where it, that is the power of the Spirit, okay? So don't feel the weight that you have to say something special or that you have to in some way make something happen. So I'm, gonna, I'm inviting the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you direct what words are to be said would you inhabit each one of these circles? And, and would the circling, the arms that are locked, Lord, would that bring you pleasure and joy? And then, Lord, would you um, rescue and uphold your children? And so you have freedom to stand in silence. You have freedom to pray for the person. The thing that I want you to remember is that this is care, okay? So we're not trying to deliver anyone from demonic possession. If you think that needs to happen, then call me in and I'll, I'll help, right? We're trying to care, we're trying to love. And so let your words, let your presence communicate that. Marty's gonna play and you know, as, as you naturally need to, to uh, dissipate and, and go, that's fine. I'm going to walk around to your groups. <laughs> 